glad you're here. We're starting a brand new series called Circles. Uh, I, am, I am literally excited about, uh, about this series, about, about relationships, about this issue of relationships that, um, that, uh, that, that you're not designed to do life alone. God's created you uh, for relationships. God's created you for a relationship with him, and then God's created you for relationships with other people. Uh, and so if we're honest, that a lot of our stress and pressure and headaches and frustration is, deals with relationships with other people, Right. And so we're going to talk about this issue, this circles. Circles represents uh, the relationships, you, and the relationships around you. And so what, what we're going to learn today, we've entitled this message, Your Circle. And so what we're going to learn today is for you to have healthy relationships, your circle has to be healthy. You have to be healthy. In other words, it starts with you. And if you come to that place to what, like, like your circle, your spot, your so circumference is like healthy, then it changes the way you deal with other people, it changes the way you see other people, and it changes the way you see God and respond to God. So over the next several weeks, in fact, it is six weeks to be exact, uh, we're going to walk through this, this series um, together, and we're going to look at this issue that we weren't designed, we weren't made to be alone. And so your circle, again, change happens from the inside out. God changes us uh, from the inside out, and as we change and as we become more healthy, it affects the way that we relate to others. Uh, Jesus is one that said this, is, is I, I've come, and I've come to give you life, and I've come to give you life more abundantly. So the Christian life is not just the promise of heaven, but the Christmas, uh, the, the Christmas life, the Christian life, <laughs> the Christian life is designed so, that, so that, that you can have life, you can have life more abundantly, you can, ha you can learn to have joy with the, the people that are around you and joy in the, in the circumstances that you walk through. So that's, that's where we're headed the next several weeks, the next six weeks. And so today we're going to talk about what Paul talked about, about spiritual growth. How, how do we grow? How does God change us from the inside out? And so there, there's two phrases that we're going to just zero in on, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So if, you, if you're old school and you have a leather Bible, you can turn. If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're an electronic type person, you can click to. Uh, if not, then the, the words are going to come up on the Sky Bible. And so you can just read along up there. How's that? And so, uh, so Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, here's what the Scripture says. Therefore... My beloved, so now we know that, that, uh, that he's writing to believers. He's talking to believers. That's important for the context. As you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out, there's the first one, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there's two phrase, phrases, work out, work in. Work out, that's your part. Work in, that's God's part. In other words, we're to work out what God is working in your life. Not work for, you are not working for your salvation. The scripture says that it's not of works, lest no man can boast. And so it's not working for your salvation, it's working out your salvation. So Paul is, is talking to believers, he's talking to Christians. Basically what he's saying is work out what is already inside of you. Work out what God is already working in you. And so, uh, so I thought of this question. Um, the question is this, is, is, is what do you do when you go to a gym to work out? I absolutely don't know. <laughs> I mean, I've driven by some gyms and hurriedly, and, but I've never really gone in a gym. So uh, you know I'm not an expert of what goes on in there, but my, my, best, my best guess is this. You work out not to get a body. You work out to develop the body you already have. Same thing with a jigsaw puzzle, right? 
And if you, if you put a jigsaw puzzle together, the puzzle comes with all the pieces in a box, and you're working out the pieces that are already in the box. Uh, I, I heard a funny story about this, this family for Christmas that they got a family member a, a jigsaw puzzle. It was a pretty simple one, uh, needed a hobby. And so they got this family member a jigsaw puzzle. And so he was really excited about that. And so, I mean, he worked for like a week straight, after work, before work, during the evenings. And finally, after a week, he got this, he got this puzzle. He worked it out. He got this puzzle put together. And so he's so excited. He was celebrating. He was telling his family, I cannot believe that I did this in a week. And his family started making fun of him. They said, we can't believe it took you so long. It was so easy. And he says, what do you mean? The box says four to six years. <laughs> yeah, see, some of you are quicker than others, right? See, those, those things are always hilarious because some of you are like early adopters and you say that and you get it like right away. And, you're like, and then some are like, what's everybody laughing about? Oh, I got it. And then some of you, you're going to be on your way home. You're going to go, oh. Oh, four to six years old. I get it. I get it. I get it. And so, so you're working out what's already in, in the box. Work, work out simply means to get full value of what is already in your possession. A farmer works the ground, cultivates it, develops it, not work far, but works it out. Um, then he goes on and he says, work out your salvation. Listen, this is an individual assignment. You worry about your circle. So many people want to get over in somebody else's hula hoop. They want to get over in somebody else's circle. You cannot work out anybody else's salvation. You only work out your salvation. A lot of times in relationships where we have conflict, we'll talk about this later in, 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 in the following weeks, in the coming weeks, uh, but a lot of times what happens when we have problems in relationships is when we're trying to change somebody else's circle. We're trying to change somebody else. We're telling them, and, and, and it always causes frustration, right? It causes conflict and fr frustration because it's hard to change someone else. Have you, have you realized that? It, that is hard, and it doesn't work. And so this is an individual assignment. In other words, you're responsible for your own circle. You're responsible for your own health. You're responsible. It's an individual assignment. In other words, you understand you're trying to work out the implications of your faith. But then he goes on and says, but with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you're afraid of God. That's not what that means. What that means is this. You're afraid you're going to miss out on what God has for you. You're afraid that you're going to miss out on, on what, what God has for you. In other words, you're going to miss out on the blessing. You're going to miss out on this life and to live this life with joy and more abundantly. And so I know that's a large, a, a long intro, but I wanted us to understand these verses. I wanted us to understand the working in and the working out, your part, God's part, as we, as we look at just three things, three ways, three different ways that God uses in our life to, uh, to change our circle so that we're healthy. One of the, well, well, let's just walk through them. So the first one is this. Your circle is changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. Your circle is changed from the inside out by the Holy Spirit. Now, me just mentioning that name, Holy Spirit, it could freak some of you out. You're like, oh, I don't know about this Holy Spirit. I mean, I'm good with God. I'm good with Jesus. But, but you know what? I, and some people I know that talk about the Holy Spirit, they're, they're, they're like weird. I, don't, I do not want to get weird. Well, they may have been weird before the Holy Spirit. And so, so you're like, you're like I, I don't want to be weird. And so you've got to understand this issue about the Holy Spirit because Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit a lot. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit in, in well, in the Last Supper, uh, in G John 14, 15, 16. 
Well, the Last Supper, the dialogue, if you'd like to read the whole thing, is John chapter 12 all the way to John chapter 18. John chapter 13, Judas is still in the room. He's still at the Last Supper. And Jesus washes the disciples' feet in John chapter 13. That means Judas is still in the building. Jesus washed the man's feet, washed. I'm, God, I'm still working on that word because from Texas, I want to say washed. And I think I said washed. It's washed. You know what I'm, you know, clean the feet. And so, uh, <laughs> so Jesus washed uh, uh, Judas's feet, the one that would betray him, the one that would sell him out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus loved Judas the same. He served him the same. He served him the same way he did the other disciples. After John chapter 13, Judas leaves the building. John chapter 14, Jesus starts talking about going away. He starts talking about a comforter. The Holy Spirit's going to come. He starts talking about this Holy Spirit. Now you know why in John chapter 14, verse 1, the Scripture says, Jesus looked at the disciples and says, Let not your hearts be troubled. And so this issue of the Holy Spirit, I, I want us to understand this because Jesus... Jesus helped them understand this. So let me read some verses, John 14, 15, 16, and then, then we'll explain them. So John 14, 16, here's what the scripture says. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, capitalized. That's why we're reading now the ESV this morning, uh, word for word translation. Helper, to be with you forever. Uh, John 14, 17. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and you and will be with you. In other words, this, you were not meant, you were not created to do life alone. John 14, 25, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 15, 26, but when the helper, there's that word, comes whom I will send to you the, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me. John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, away the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. John 16, 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are, are yet to come. This word helper in, in, in the Greek is a particular Greek word. In fact, is it only appears five times in the scriptures, and I just, read, I just read four of them. In other words, the Holy Spirit means helper, comforter, advocate, um, counselor. And so, in, in, in other words, what Jesus says, the Holy Spirit is, is for use. Now, listen, a lot of times in church, people are okay with God, and they're okay with Jesus, but this third part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that's when they get freaked out. Now, the, the family that I was raised in, we would consider ourselves frugal. Most people would say, you guys are just tight. Um, and probably that's true, because when, when, when you reuse paper towels, you're probably tight. Uh, I still have a hard time using paper towels. In, in my house growing up, the only time you could use paper towels was for emergency stuff only. Like, we, we reused baggies. We would take baggies, and we would wash them out. Oh, there we go again. Wash them out and, like, reuse them. So we, we were a tight family. And so my mom, when my daughters, our daughters were young, my mom would give them a Christmas gift, but she would give them a practical Christmas gift, and they actually hated it. So my, my mom would give our daughters 
uh, uh, collectible dolls. She gave them a collectible, collectible doll uh, collection. And so, uh, so as a result, you know, you couldn't open them. You can't take them out of the box. You can't break the seal because if you do, it destroys the, the worth of the dolls. And so my mom's belief was that, you know, when the girls turn 18, they can, like, sell these things and pay for college. I mean, it's like, uh, it's like, it's like a wise financial decision. Now, my daughters hated it because they couldn't use the dolls. They couldn't play with the dolls. For them, the dolls were just for display. They just sat on their shelves. And here's what I'm concerned about in the church, that that's the way most Christians look at the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not for use. The Holy Spirit is for display. The Holy Spirit is for us to talk about. The Holy Spirit is for us to refer to. The Holy Spirit is for display and not for use. But the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit is for use. In other words, have you ever had one of those experiences? The Scripture says the Holy Spirit will bring remembrance to you some things. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you're talking to a friend and they're struggling in the Christian life and they're talking about some things that they're going through in in life, maybe it's a circumstance, and then all of a sudden a a Scripture comes or a devotional thought comes to you, something comes to you and you hadn't been thinking about it for a while, and you look across the table, the room, whatever, and say, hey, and and you say, I would, this just came to me, and you tell them something, and they go, you're not going to believe this. That's exactly what I'm going through. That is so encouraging to me. It's Holy Spirit. You ever been in those situations where you're in a, discu- in, you're in a discussion, and you're thinking of some things to say, and there's this voice saying, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, and you say it? <laughs> and then you say, then you think, why did I say it, why did I say it, why did I say it? Happens a lot in marriage, right? <laughs> you just kind of ignore it. That, that, that's the Holy Spirit. Now listen, so Jesus helps us to understand. It's so important. Jesus helps us understand the three roles of the Holy Spirit. Watch this, um, John 16, 8. And when he, the helper, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So three things. So we're going to understand those this morning. Because Jesus then... After he says those things, just like a good communicator, he said them, and he's going to break them down so they can understand it. And so then he explains these three things. We'll break them down, each one individually. How's that? So verse 9, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So the, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit's role before we meet Christ, the Holy Spirit's role is to convict us of sin. And that's a good thing. In other words, he's talking about before we meet him, because he uses the word wor- uh, world. And then in verse 8 and verse 9, he says, before they believed in me, because they did not believe in me. And so before we meet Christ, the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need, uh, our need for God. Now, convict sometimes is a big church word, and we're like, hey, what does that really mean? Is that a, is that a Bible word? Is that a church word? Is that a churchy word? Um, and so maybe a better understanding of that word is just to use the word convince. The Holy Spirit convinces us of our need for him. Listen, I want to open up just a little bit of my life to you. I, we do not have time for, you, for me to tell you uh, my entire testimony. But I want to do this so that you understand how the Holy Spirit works. Now listen, if, if, you, if, if you don't have a testimony like mine, that is like, that is like, it's probably better. <laughs> that is so okay. If you were, listen, if you were blessed enough to be raised in a, in a Christian home, to an early age, you just, you just met Christ, and you just accepted him, and you never needed to really go off the rails, off the farm, you know, into the ditches and, and rebel, then I want you to know you have a powerful testimony. The fact is, I think that may be the most powerful testimony. 
that you really didn't need to rebel to know that there is a God that loves you and, and, and worth following and all those other things. So, so if you don't have a testimony like mine, I, I, I don't want to make you feel like you don't have a testimony because I don't have a church testimony. Um, that's not my testimony. In fact, is my testimony brought me a lot of shame and guilt and embarrassment in my life. Fact is, it was a long time before I could ever talk publicly uh, about that. And so um, it, when I was in my 20s, my life totally blew apart. Uh, I had tried just about everything I could try to, uh, to numb the pain, to, uh, to deal with life, to get through some issues. And when I was in my 20s, my life totally blew apart. And then a night came when I was under the influence of marijuana, and I made some horrible moral decisions. A lot of immorality. It was just horrible. And I woke up the next morning, and I went into the bathroom, and I looked at myself. And the reflection I got back, it was like God just peeled open my life. And it almost made me physically ill of my behavior, of my decisions, of my choices. And I knew, I was convinced that I needed God in my life. I was convinced that if I was going to live, I needed to make some changes in my life. And it was because of my aunt and uncle who were strong believers that, um, that I contacted them, they contacted me, and they took me to church, and it was in a church service that then I was convinced of God's love for me, that he would accept me, that he would forgive me, and I accepted him and started a relationship with him. The first role of the Holy Spirit is to convince you that you need God in your life, that you need to make some changes in your life. But listen, Man, it doesn't, it doesn't stop there, and it leads us to, the, to the, the next one. Here's the next one, verse 10. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no more. In other words, righteousness, listen, righteousness in this definition means simply this, right standing with God. It does not mean right living. It does not mean perfect living. Listen, I am a proponent of right living. I think right living is a good thing, but that's not what this is talking about. It is talking about righteousness. It's talking about your positionally, your right standing with God. And Jesus is saying, because I go, because you believe in me, I'm not here to convince you of that. The Holy Spirit will convince you of right standing with, with God. In other words, that he wants to convince us before we meet Christ that we are condemned, that we are separated from God, that we need God, then once we cross over and we accept him, then he wants to convince us of our righteousness, our right standing with God, that God loves you. Here's my burden. Here's my concern for Christians. If we, if we did a show of hands, and we are not this morning, but if we did a show of hands and I ask you two questions, the first question I ask you, how many of you are convinced that you're a sinner? He, convinced, he convicted you. He convinced you that you've sinned. Like every hand would go up, right? Some of you, like two hands would go up. Like, I, I so know that. And I said, okay, put your hands down. Now let me ask you another question. How many of you are convinced that God loves you unconditionally? I don't know how many hands would go up from conversations I have with Christians. And I just tell you this, once, 
once you become a believer, God wants to convince you how much he loves you. And he cares for you unconditionally. Not based upon your performance. Not based upon how well or, you, or, or, or how well you didn't do last week. He wants to convince you of his unconditional love for you. There's some people say, well, I love him. I just don't know that he, I don't know that he loves me. I still got that, I still got that testimony. See, that was me for many years. The life that I came out of when I met him, my testimony, especially when I came into a, to a church, I'm like, I'm looking around, and especially when I came into the church in the 80s, I'm like, nobody like has the testimony I have. Fact is, when I knew God called me to be a preacher, one of the reasons I ran from him and one of the reasons I delayed that so long, you know why? Because, because of my testimony. Because I didn't know any preachers that had a testimony like mine. Most preachers I knew, like the worst thing they ever did in their life was like, read under a dim light at night. <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> Listen, God wants to convince you you're in Christ. God wants to convince you. The Holy Spirit wants to convince you how much he loves you. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In other, in other words, the ruler of the world is Satan. What the Holy Spirit wants to convince me of is that Satan, the ru ruler of this world, has been cast out and judged. And because of that, I am in right standing with God. I, I, I am deeply loved by him. And Satan has no authority or power over my life any longer. It's like broken. There's like freedom in my life. That's why Jesus, I've come to give you life and give you that life more abundantly. The second thing is this, is your circle is changed, not only by the Holy Spirit, but your circle is changed by his word. Your circle is changed by his, by his word. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, the whole body, Bible has, was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and helps us to do what is right. It is God's way of making us well prepared at every point. Some of the most meaningful times I've had is in Scripture. Some of the most meaningful times I've had when I've read Scripture, Father-centered, and what I mean by that is trying to look for the places where God communicates to you that he loves you. I've never made a major decision in our life or family without a Scripture to back it up. One of my burdens is it bothers me because... you. In the times in which we live, and people have all different types and reasons and everything else, you don't hear as much anymore people just simply talking about, I just, every day I just get alone with, with, with a Bible and I, I, just, I just read the scriptures and I, I, ask, I ask God to like speak to me. A lot of times what I hear is about, is about this speaker or this podcast or, or, or this religious leader or, or this Christian author or this author and what they said and what what and, and all of those other things but maybe that's the reason some of you are having a hard time understanding how much God loves you because you haven't been getting in his word his bible and it's all secondhand someone else is telling you how much God loves you the way you change your circle is getting into the scriptures the way you change your circles is begin reading scripture, not to change somebody else's sec the uh, circle, or not to judge someone else, 
So many people, times people use Scripture in a way that I think should be outlawed. They use it to beat someone else up. They use it to judge somebody. They use it to hurt somebody. And you know what that does? That causes people to question Scripture. God wants to convince you of his love for you. And what, what would happen if every one of us heard directly from him about his love for us? Because if, if you're serious about changing your life, it starts with his, his word. It starts with the Holy Spirit. It starts with his word to where you read it, you study it, you, you memorize it. There's, there's some principles and there's some truths that are easier to remember than to apply, right? When I, when I first started playing golf, I'm playing golf with a guy, friend, kind of. <laughs> you know how golf buddies are. And uh, he said, you know, Charlie, if you'd learned to hit the ball straight, you'd score better. Well, thank you very much. That was just helpful. <laughs> right? Like, I did not know that. And so I, could, I can remember that principle, right, even when I'm looking for my ball in the trees or the neighborhood over <laughs> wherever. And I can remember that principle. If I hit the ball straight, I'd score better. There's some, there's some principles that are easier to remember than to apply in golf and in the spiritual life. I think it's easier to remember God loves me than to apply to me. There's some things in my life, early in my Christian life, that I did to help me understand how much God loved me. I would, I would take a moment out of, out of my day, you know, and just, just a thoughtful, quick prayer that took like half a second or less, and I'd just breathe a prayer. Father, thank you for loving me. Just thank, thank you for, just thank you for loving me. I try to practice one faith action every day uh, of God's love. You know when the self-talk happens, Right? Uh, maybe I'm the only one, but when you get that self-talk that, you know, it's condemning, judging, you're not perfect enough, you're not good enough, you know, those, those types of conversations that go on, then, then I, I would simply just, just start remembering God loves me, God loves me, God loves especially me. He knows me, and I'm deeply loved by him. You know what, here's what happens when you know how much God loves you, then you could deal with a hurtful comment from somebody else's circle. You can, you can deal with that jerk that you don't even like, and you don't even know why their comment hurts you so bad because you don't even really like them. And you can deal with it because if you know how much God, if you are convinced that you're in right standing with God and how much he loves you, you, you can turn an assault. In my case, I can turn a painful memory into a glancing blow by reminding myself how much God loves me. When someone posts on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, emails, whatever, about you, and it's not uplifting, and it's not for the building up of others, you can deal with it more, easier, when you understand, well, guess what? God loves me. Guess what? I'm in right standing with God. What is your problem? You got a problem with your circle. See, we can be tempted, if we're not careful, 
to think God only loves the perfect people. God only loves the people who have their life together. God only loves the people who are successful, who look great, who are popular, who speak well in public. God only loves those people. Something happens when you understand God loves me. It's information to transformation. The third and the last thing is this, is you're changed from the inside out by circumstances. You're changed from the inside out by circumstances. A lot of times I think God uses circumstances more than the first two. God uses circumstances sometimes to push us into the other two. It was my circumstances that morning to help me to understand I'm not going to live much longer. I need to make some changes in my life. I'm using all this stuff to try to dull the pain and everything. And you know what? It is, it is not working. God uses, see, this is why our response matters. To, you know, when problems and pressure and headaches and difficulty and stress come, it always gets our attention. And so here's what the scripture says, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might receive, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. In other words, this, and we may not like it, nothing can come into your circle without his permission. I'm not saying everything's good, but I'm saying that God can use everything that comes into your circle for your good, for your change. There's a, there's a time in our, in our marriage that I cause problems in our marriage because uh, I love practical jokes. I love a good practical joke. One, and, 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 so, and so Karen hates practical jokes. She hates practical jokes that are pulled on her uh, and that are pulled on others because she feels sorry for whoever's on the other end. I think it's stinking hilarious. <laughs> and so Karen had been talking to me in our marriage about you need to cut this out. And so uh, Karen, just a little bit of history, Karen had always had a deep fear that our kids would be left at school, and they'd go through abandonment issues, and, and so she had this fear that the kids would not be picked up at school, and it would traumatize them for life. And so, uh, so it was my job one day to pick up Amanda from school, our youngest daughter. And Karen's like, please, please, please do not forget, please, and I'm, gonna, I'm on it, I am on it, I am so on it. And so, and I have to because she's calling me like every hour throughout the day. Are you going to, I remember, I, how could I, like, how could I forget now? And so, uh, so I go pick Amanda up from school. Uh, that was back in the days I had a cell phone, but that was back in the days when you could only afford 30 minutes on your plan a month to like talk. And yeah, all these young people like, all uh, right, like you'd die, right? And so, uh, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And so, uh. And so Yola used a cell phone for, like, emergencies. So I picked Amanda up from school, got her in the truck, and I said, hey, Amanda, here's my, I'll let you use my cell phone. Why don't you call Mom? We don't have caller ID at home. Just tell her Daddy's not here. Who's going to come pick me up? <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? And so she goes, oh, Daddy, don't, please, no, no. I said, please. She goes, Daddy, please. Mom's going to get really upset. And I go, well, hey, there's, uh, I'll get you ice cream. What do you want me to tell her? <laughs> wow, you came pretty easy. And so, so, uh, 
So I said, yeah, and so now listen, I gotta, you, you're new at this, so you've got to wave it off before this thing goes really bad. And so if mom really freaks out, tell her you're just kidding, okay? She said, okay. So Amanda picks up the phone, calls Karen, says in a quivering voice, hey, mom, daddy's not here. Who's going to come pick me up? Karen screams, I'll be right there, baby, and hangs up. <laughs> Amanda's like staring at the phone. I'm like, well, you, you were supposed to wave her off. I didn't have a chance. Call her back, call her back, call her back. You know, and she calls her back, and so Karen doesn't answer. I'm like, oh, we're so dead. We're so dead. <laughs> Amanda's like, Dad, I'm not going down with you. I am not. I go, oh, yeah, we're, we, are in the, we are in this together now. And I says, what route does Mom come to school? We'll go the same route, and then we see her. We'll flashlights wave. Hey, we're just kidding. We'll all go out to ice cream. You know? <laughs> we drove that route. We never saw Karen. So we get home, and we walk in our house, and she's gone. It's like a fire drill went on in our house. The, 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 the vacuum cleaner is still in the living room, plugged in, just laying there. And Amanda's like, you're so dead. She's like, she said, what do we do now? I said, I tell you what we do now. We clean house. When in doubt, clean house. And so uh, <laughs> you vacuum, I dust. Who knows? We may get parole. And so... Uh, an hour later, mom shows up. Yeah. She walks in the house. She walks by me and smirks and says, don't ever do that to me again. I knew it was a joke. I'm like, I've been sweating bullets for like an hour. You know what? I never did it again. Sometimes it takes a painful experience. A painful circumstance. To get us to change, right? And you'd think I'd learned. Here a while back, I played a practical joke on a staff member. It went totally bad. It required me to stand up in front of the whole staff and ask the whole staff for forgiveness. Now, I, I, don't, do, I don't do practical jokes. No more. <laughs> Sometimes it takes a painful experience. Sometimes we don't change till we feel the heat. Sometimes God uses a painful experience to get our attention. This year that we've gone through in our family with a daughter with a tumor, I learned that I did not have a theology of suffering. I had a theology of inconvenience. I didn't know what it meant to suffer. Now. And I can tell you this. What Jesus said in John 14, 8, I will never leave you as orphans. That he will be right with you, regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?